0: Digital Drift, episode 24, recorded Thursday 24th of April 2014, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. This is Zira. Her loving husband Cornelius and little Milo.
1: The most dangerous to man is little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United... Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take the female first. Well, she seems to be pretty smart.
2: All right,
1: we'll go for the banana
3: Well, why doesn't she take it? Because I loathe bananas I don't believe
4: it Zira, are you mad? Until we know who our friends are
1: and who our enemies are And how in the name of God are we to know that Unless we communicate We can speak, so I spoke The president convenes a special board of inquiry Have you a name? Zira Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> Embraced by our civilization, the nation gives them a hero's welcome.
2: Address, please. The zoo. <laughs> what is it? Well,
1: it's sort of like uh, grape juice plus. How is that?
2: It's very wet. It's certainly the most incredible story this reporter has ever covered.
1: And you share the impact of every incredible moment. Must have been the shock.
2: Shocked my foot, I'm pregnant.
1: The president's chief advisor wants them murdered or else the human race cannot survive. The escape, the birth of an infant who could threaten man's very existence. You're the second human, I've just... You are the first. The Relentless Chase. The Stunning Climax. Cornelius! Sarah, I want that baby. Give it to me, I'll shoot. Why was Washington thrown into a turmoil by this one baby?
3: Stop
1: him. Escape from the planet of the
3: apes. Deep discussion and entertaining analysis of movies, games, and media culture.
0: Welcome to the digital drift. Okay, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, made in 1971. It's set in 1974. We're back in time, folks. Although when originally released, it was forward in time. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally! And the ship, originally piloted by Taylor, lands off the coast of California. It is brought in by the military, and three humanoid apes in spacesuits step out. They are Cornelius, Zero... And an ape in a red shirt from engineering named Milo. Interned in a zoo, despite changing out of their spacesuits and into robes, they are believed to be spacefaring monkeys from Earth, possibly Russian cosmonauts. Zira slowly begins to hint at their intelligence, eventually speaking to a pair of human doctors. Milo is killed by a nearby gorilla, and the apes are revealed to the world in a press conference. Turns out that they witnessed the end of the Earth as they escaped into space and a convenient time hole, which sent them back 2,000 years. The apes become celebrities and appear on various broadcasts. Cornelius reveals that an imminent viral outbreak will leave household dogs and cats extinct and humans will start taking simian pets in greater numbers. Within two centuries, the monkeys will have become intelligent enough through greater responsibilities to rise up and say, No! To their captors, hence the eventual overthrow of the human race. Lewis, the psychiatrist who first made contact with them, takes their story to the President of the United States, and various government groups hold various meetings and commissions to discuss what's to be done with the apes and their cataclysmic future they speak of. It is decided that Zira's recently announced pregnancy is to be terminated and that they are to be neutered to prevent intelligent offspring forming the basis of of dominant ape kind. Cornelius and Zira escape, and hole up in a circus, run by a sympathetic Ricardo Monteblan. There, among the other chimps, Zira gives birth to a new baby chimp, that they name Milo. Escaping into the LA docks, with a pistol given to them by Lewis, Zira and Cornelius are tracked, by a government agent intent, on wiping them off the planet, lest it become ruled by apes. All three simians, are killed, as is the agent. And we close on the circus they just fled, complete with a cunningly switched baby Milo, calling out for his mama. Okay, so first off, this one took us by surprise, because as we just said we had just watched the entire earth get destroyed it's hard to have a sequel from that
3: it is yes but they managed it
0: yeah and um we like i said we've never seen any of these films and so we didn't ex- know what to expect so it was uh it was carefully placing bets as to who was going to come out of the pod and i was just thank god it wasn't john heston Indeed. yeah uh, you got some background on how this was put together
3: i do yes so, despite Beneath the Planet of the Apes ending in a way that prevented the series from moving on, 20th Century Fox.
0: <laughs> Not just the series, but the Earth.
3: <laughs> well, indeed, yes. Uh, 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox, you'll notice, who would have been quite disgruntled about the idea of the uh, 30th Century resulting in their complete obli- obliteration. Not <laughs> be old no Fox! Yay! Uh, <laughs> anyway, so 20th Century Fox still wanted a sequel. Technically,
0: running- 39th Century Fox. No, uh. Uh, 40th, 40th Century, century Fox. Yeah. 20th Century Fox still wanted a sequel.
3: Yes, I know. I'm trying to pull my face straight. Give me a moment.
0: <laughs> uh, it's harder the ape makeup, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: dear. 20th Century Fox still wanted a sequel. Roddy McDowell in the franchise documentary... No change there. <laughs> Sorry.
0: 20th Century Fox still wanted a sequel. No,
3: I'm not doing that bit again.
0: I'm doing it again. Roddy McDowell in the franchise documentary. Hey! Back. Hey, you said you weren't doing it again.
3: What? No, no, no. I just meant I'm not doing 20th Century Fox still wanted a sequel again. I just do it again. <laughs>
0: I'll take one of them.
3: Will you stop? Okay. Roddy McDowell in the franchise documentary Behind the Planet of the Apes stated that Arthur P. Jacobs sent Beneath's screenwriter Paul Den a telegram concerning the sequel that read Apes exist, sequel required. And Den decided to create an out from the destructive ending of Beneath by having Cornelius and Zira going back in time with a Leonardo da Vinci-like ape after fixing Taylor's spaceship before the Earth was destroyed.
0: Uh, he's not very Da Vinci like. He's he's kind not of really, like, no. uh, third technician, like frankly.
3: Yeah. Den also consulted Pierre Boulle, writer of the Planet of the Apes novel, to imbue his script with the same satirical elements. The screenplay, originally titled Secret of the Planet of the Apes, accommodated the smaller budget by having fewer people in ape makeup, and attracted director Don Taylor for its light-hearted humor and focusing on the chimpanzee couple. Den also added the latter part of the film, which involved the chase for Zira, Cornelius and their son, references to the racial conflicts and a few religious overtones to the story of Jesus. A line of dialogue even has the president comparing the plan to kill an unborn child to the massacre of the innocents. While Kim Hunter had to be convinced by the studio to make Beneath, she liked the script for Escape from the Planet of the Apes and accepted work on it, though Hunter also stated that she was very glad she was killed off and that Zira was not required anymore after that film. Hunter stated that despite the friendly atmosphere on the set, she and Roddy McDowell felt a sense of isolation for being the only people dressed as chimpanzees. Production was rushed due to the low budget, and the film was made in only six weeks.
0: You can see why that isolation might actually prove quite useful to an actor, though, because you use it. So um, you commented while we were watching this that this was your favourite so far?
3: Yes, very definitely. Um, It absolutely whips the Pants off beneath, uh, which was terrible.
0: Beneath is one of the worst films I've seen in a long, long it's time.
3: Awful, isn't it? Oh, so
0: bad. It takes yes. everything that sucked about the first one and and somehow <laughs> manages to turn all of that into an even worse film, and adds in a lot of other crap which you didn't need.
3: Yeah, it's like um, that bit in Is it Logan's Run where they end up in a cave with some weird robot?
0: Yes.
4: Welcome, humans. Fish, plankton. Sea greens, and protein from the sea. Overwhelming, am I not? Are you too startled? Am I too removed from your ken? I'm more than machine or man. More than a fusion of the two. Don't you agree? Fish and plankton and sea greens and protein from the sea. I'm ready. And you're ready. It's my job to freeze you, protein, plankton, grass from the sea.
3: And you just you just confuse. Dude, Logan's is
0: Run is a masterpiece a- compared with beneath, beneath the, beneath of the, the Planet of the Apes.
3: Yes, you may be right, yeah. um, but I personally think that this is actually better than the first one as well. Whoa! Um,
0: I, I agree, and most uh, historians will go, "No,
3: it's not." But- I'm sure they will, um, but as I said when we were talking about Beneath the 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 standard of acting, there is a seismic shift. Between well, basically, it's once we've got rid of Charlton Heston, <laughs> and that
0: guy who was emulating Charlton Heston.
3: Yeah, exactly. The, if you if you watch the acting stuff in this, I mean, there is there is still it's still got all the hallmarks well, of
0: seventies. It's not like it's early, not like yeah, high,
3: it's high still quality early seventies. Um, the music is awful. The music in uh, all of
0: them is awful, it's like more timpani, more timpani just banging away, it's like bringing the noise bringing the funk.
3: Absolutely um, so it's no worse than the earlier ones um, but the the performances are actually really really good and Kim Hunter is basically the only good thing as far as I'm concerned about the first two, so the fact that she was brought in and made the complete focus of the film um, I, I really liked that, I thought that was great they got Roddy McDowell back Good. He was also very good. It, it seemed like they got more of a sense of focus about what story they wanted to tell, which was really quite significant for me because the, the first two seemed to be lacking that. If they were trying to make social commentary of any kind, the brushstrokes were so broad I couldn't see them, mm. which was difficult for me to then um, sort of work out how that fit into whether I even could understand it or not, never mind whether or not I liked it. Whereas this, it, it's it's not so much that it's very simple and they're nailing their colours to the mast about who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. It's not that simplistic, and it's good that it's not that simplistic. However, it's pretty clear from the word go where your sympathies are intended to lie mm. that the fact remains that these apes are intelligent and it is... um depressing that the humans singularly fail to realize that at first um but that gradually they come round to realizing or or at least you think that they're coming round to realizing that they are intelligent that they are social that they you know are, are basically just humans with more hair um and that they should be treated as such but the i mean one of the parallels that that occurred to me about them turning up on this planet and immediately being, immediately being dumped in this zoo cage, um, that they were treating them like refugees, you know, held in detention centres, subjected to inhumane treatment they end up um they have to get dressed in front of um soldiers and there's a there's a point where it's quite subtle but Zira seems to be sort of trying to cover herself so that they can't see her getting dressed um the way they behave towards her when they find out that she's pregnant is there's a really it's not so much that they they don't seem to get the seriousness of it but There seemed less weight than I would have expected uh, in the scene in which they basically talk about forced abortion and sterilization. Um, And it's almost like there is still a sense that, well, they're animals, so it's actually not that big a deal. Um, I think that
0: that scene was supposed to be about we're dealing with such big things and so many huge issues every single day. Mm. uh, We can't get too hung up on the human rights or indeed ape rights for just two people. There's too much at stake here. Yeah.
3: Absolutely, um, but but you do it's between all- a
0: president and uh, a psychologist. Well,
3: absolutely, I mean it's 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 all the, all the decisions are made at a very high level. But it it does seem. Um, I mean, you made the comparison with um, uh, with Terminator. But it does seem that the the fact that they are making this decision in order to prevent a future which has already happened, even if they succeed you can assume that this future will come about one way or the other unless they plan on exterminating every single high level primate in well, the world
0: not necessarily they don't know how time travel works as far as they're concerned if they change the future if they change the present they could skew into an alternate 3978
3: true but if that's the case wouldn't it make more sense as a human with feelings and understanding that you're dealing with other beings which also have feelings to err on the side of caution and not force them to
0: I am not their for a and- moment suggesting that enforced abortion and sterilization was the right thing to do. I was oh, no, no. kind of refreshed by how... Seriously, the uh, premise was taken on board by uh, the humans. That you know, within a few moments of uh, finding out that they were talking apes from the future, there they were discussing it in. I suppose it's like a really early World War Z kind of, you know, in the same way that Travis Dambrosia talks about how it was like a dam burst, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were talking discussing walking corpses as though such an absurd thing could actually be a major factor in the development of a nation.
3: Yeah. But yes, I, I mean the whole um, assimilation that the uh, the people who you're supposed to like and sympathise with. I mean the the, uh, the circus owner particularly,
0: mm. played by Ricardo Montalban <laughs> in that wonderful way he manages only without the venom of calm.
3: Absolutely, um, but th- the fact that people who actually talk to them and interact with um, with Cornelius and Zira just grasp so quickly that they are. They're on your level. They they treat them like. I mean, to to begin with, there are a lot of people who are treating Zira like an academic, and she. <laughs> there's this brilliant scene where she seems to basically kickstart the women's movement. They take her to speak at um, <laughs> uh, a women's club in San Francisco. And she's like, you know, we, we yes, we can do all these things with our hands, but we can do things with our heads too. And we need to make sure that men know this and and let us think and let us do things that we want to do. And yeah. it's like, yeah,
0: it seemed we, like we that, need
3: more of that. It
0: seemed like there was a more of a balanced uh, hand in the actual. a Far more. This is a much more liberal movie than the first two. Mm. The first uh, two uh, actually seem to be pretty fucking right wing. But it's, this one's much more talky, much more discursive, and far deeper concepts are explored in a way that's they, they don't even like dumb it down for the audiences. They're just like, no, you know, what? If, if you if you watch seventies political thrillers, you'll get this. And it, Nixon was uh, in the White House at the time, so it's kind of like uh, the, the president is actually refreshingly not. A, a wicked, evil man, just desperate to, for control at any cost. He's actually, uh, he's trying to, um, uh, he doesn't want them killed. He wants to, this to, to be resolved without butchery. So far in the, in the series, human representation has been pathetic. You've got these shambling subhumans, and then when they get out of their spacecraft, there's these primitive humans walking around as well, taking fruit off the trees. The only humans we've had so far have been incredibly blunt instruments, so it's it's great to see scientists actually try (laughs) to take on board this future and and ruminate on it. Now, the issue, unfortunately, comes down to the fact that the whole destruction of the Earth is predicated by a bomb designed to destroy everything, which is so stupid you can't work it into an intelligent film. They don't even really mention the bomb. It's more about what happens with all these apes. It would make sense if the bomb was designed specifically to kill all biological life on Earth. The idea being that you retreat into a bunker with all the other humans that you can gather with you so that all the apes will die. If there was some more thought put into it. But it was one of those films where they're just like, oh, it's a, a, a bomb that will destroy the atmosphere and the, the fire will go all the way around the Earth. The Cerebinite. Like, it's that level of unthinking. Um, So, I mean, just off the top of my head, I came up with a better idea in terms of what a weapon could be designed for. And despite its terrible ferocity, there was some plan behind it. But unfortunately, that's kind of... They had to leave that out of the movie because it's so stupid.
3: It is, rather, yes. And it's... As you say, it's not really referred to. They they talk well. They talk about the destruction of the earth, well, they,
0: they, this is but the thing, in very abstract don't, terms. They don't actually know why the earth was destroyed. They don't know about the bomb. No. The apes going to find the humans didn't know what they were going to find, and then when they found it, it was a giant bomb, and the bomb went off and killed everyone on the planet. So th- these apes, unfortunately, coming back in time, have very little of uh, usable information. But I suppose they could just say, look, some sort of weapon was set off. We know we don't have access to that, so it's possible it was a relic from the past. It might be an idea to put out a memo to say, don't create any doomsday devices.
3: That, to me, would have been a more sensible way of trying to prevent this future than
0: well, the killing focusing the focusing on killing tapes. small yeah. apes, yeah.
3: Absolutely. One thing, one touch I really liked, actually, and it's quite a small thing, But one of my beefs with the first two is that none of the uh, supposed primitive humans made any attempts at communication. Um, There were no gestures. There was no sign language. There was no no verbalization of any kind from anybody. Um, And if they were kind of carrying on with that idea, you would expect any regular apes that turned up in this to be the same but in the zoo there is a gorilla who is clearly very frustrated at his captivity um and he lashes out by grabbing hold of of Milo as in the scientist who comes back with uh, Leonardo his, da Vinci cetera, um, and killing him and then at the end um in the the baby swap scenario you have um the mother of Salome, who's the, the baby that um, Zira takes with her, uh, who is called Heloise, and um, Zira leaves baby Milo with Heloise to care for. Um, and there's a, a point where she goes into the cage to, to allegedly say goodbye to Heloise, and they are communicating. They are quite clearly communicating. Um, there's, there's no verbalisation or anything like that, but there's this lovely moment where Heloise is kind of sort of tapping Salome's head with her chin and gesturing towards Zira as if to say, take her. Um, And there's, there's a whole conversation that goes on between them that is, is very apparent, even if the, the uh, essential content of it is not clear that there is an asking for, a um, for help and an offering of a solution between two mothers who need to find a way forward out of this. And it's it's gorgeous. It's lovely. Really really well done, especially considering that Halloween was basically a woman in a chimp suit.
0: Well, so technically was Zero.
3: Yeah, I know, but the makeup on the actual apes was not nearly as good as the makeup on um, uh, Cornelius and Zero. In fact, if you look at the um, the big gorilla at the beginning, it's It's
0: like that party ape at the uh, end of Trading Places.
3: Yes. Yes, it's all, the fur is all, it's fur, not hair, and it's all matted, and it looks bad.
0: <laughs> that was the one on James Belushi. What's up guys? We're gonna be dressed as monkeys now. What- So, um, you'd, you'd rate this as, as your favourite. Do you think it's going to be, this one's going to be topped by either of the uh, next two?
3: I doubt it very much. This one actually, th- right, this is the first one that's actually elicited an emotional response from me. Yeah, you cried, actually, which is the I first one since, the characters. Uh, rise. Um, and yeah, I, I cried at the end and I was actually involved in the narrative of the story rather than simply getting hung up on the fact that, um, that this piece of scenery looked like it was made of cardboard and was about to fall over and that charlton heston was pissing me off royally and um other things that had absolutely nothing to do with the content of the film and everything to do with the production of the film
0: i do like that tom cruise comparison it really does apply many Mm. to to many of charlton heston's productions indeed he must always be seen to be cool
3: okay manly
0: and very manly Look who's got a scorching case of the knot gaze. It's Sheldon Heston and Tom Cruise. Okay, um so that's, that, that will do it for Escape from the Planet of the Apes.
2: Cute as can be.
4: Where is his mama, papa, sister, brother, cousin, rest of the family, little red monkey on his own, some very lonesome
1: monkey, is he?
2: Listen carefully, Dick and Jimmy, cause here is a job for you. What is it? If you get him into the zoo. The zoo? he do all of his tricks for you.
1: Joy, why not drop him a line or two? What for? Inviting him to the zoo. For if we do, then what? He'll be a
4: happy, snappy monkey, little red monkey, acting so merrily. We hope you like this little red monkey
1: very, very lonesome, lonesome monkey, is he? Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures, climaxed by the spectacular Revolt of the Apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First, pampered his pets, then abused his servants, now oppressed his slaves. security forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is called north immediately.
4: Yes, sir. Are control methods to include the use of tear gas and sedation darts.
1: There will be but one control method. A shoot to kill. Ready! Aim! Fire! This will be the end of human civilization! And the world will lost. Watch the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. there is fire, there is smoke,
2: and in that smoke from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable
4: day of man's downfall, and that day is upon you
2: now!
0: Okay, so Conquest of the Planet of the Apes... In the far-off year of 1991, 17 years after Zira and Cornelius were killed, their son, Milo, now renamed Caesar, is separated from Ricardo Monteblan, who has been sheltering him all these years. It is a grim 1984-style future where developed apes are already serving mankind as an enormous contingent of simian slaves. Apes are interned and treated badly, trained to be monkey butlers and kept docile. It is into this cruel system that Caesar is absorbed, masquerading as just another ape. Monteblan is interrogated and in his escape attempt falls to his death, exposing Caesar's true heritage, which the US government officials had long suspected. The hunt is on for this hidden, super-intelligent chimp and they are right to fear him. Caesar orchestrates a very subtle, far-reaching plan for ape revolution. He is assisted by a sympathetic, high-ranking human named MacDonald, whom, it is worth noting, is black, and has no doubt spotted the uncomfortable parallels with mankind's history of slavery. MacDonald frees a captive Caesar from torture, and the apes rise up and escape their bonds, bringing with them the tools of revolution that Caesar has had them gather. There is a bloody conflict with the apes obtaining rifles. Caesar is confronted by Breck, the government agent who has been hounding and torturing him. Breck states that the ape that man came from resides in his heart and must be shackled. To Breck, the ape represents the dark animal side of man. Caesar gives two conflicting speeches in victory – before a baying crowd of simians, one which speaks of savage vengeance upon their human aggressors and the subsequent subjugation of mankind. The other calls for peace and mercy, and it is his ultimate conclusion, though he is now certain that the planet of the apes has risen. So for folks who haven't seen this film before, and it's sounding rather familiar, this is effectively an early prototype version of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, or Rise of the Planet of the Apes shares thematic similarities while not actively being a straightforward remake. It's also, so far, I believe, our favourite.
3: Personally, I think I still prefer Escape. Really? Yes. But it's very close. And I actually would prefer to take them as a pair.
0: Yeah, they do go very well together. This one most definitely has an agenda... Uh, it's got serious political drive behind it. They're trying to tell a story, and it's doing what sci-fi should, which is to make you think and examine existing systems and previous systems using a metaphorical scenario.
3: Jay Lee Thompson, who had maintained an interest in the franchise ever since producer Arthur P. Jacobs invited him for the original Planet of the Apes, was hired to direct Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Thompson staged every scene with attention to detail, such as highlighting the conflicts with colour. The humans wear black and other muted colours, while the apes' suits are quite colourful. Don Murray suggested to Thompson his wardrobe with a black turtleneck sweater and rehearsed his scenes after translating his dialogue into German to get this kind of severe feeling of the Nazis – Screenwriter Paul Den wrote the film, incorporating references to the racial conflicts in North America during the early 1970s. Which oh, Thompson, you
0: pointed out, Malcolm X during the, uh, the the Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speech, uh, the the parallels at the end, that was going on at the time.
3: Yeah, and the um, some of the riot scenes, it did occur to me that they seem to have been shot to deliberately make them look like the Watts riots. Yeah. Which Thompson further highlighted by shooting some scenes in a manner similar to a news broadcast.
0: Malcolm X was killed seven years before this, but it was most definitely still in the public conscious.
3: Yeah. The primary location was Century City, Los Angeles, that had previously been part of the 20th Century Fox backlot and translated well The Bleak Future with monochromatic buildings in a sterile, ultra-modern style. In addition, TV producer Erwin Allen contributed props and clothes to the film. He let the makers of Conquest borrow his Seaview jumpsuits from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, brown clothes and computers and cabinets for eight management that were used first on the time tunnel, and other sets and props from other Allen productions.
0: Oh, and one other thing. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in 68, so only four years before this. So, like I said, there is a duality to Caesar. He's both Charles Xavier and Eric Lensherr.
3: The original cut of Conquest ended with the brutal killing of Governor Breck, with an implicit non-violent message implying that the circle of hatred would never end. After a preview screening in Phoenix on June 1st, 1972, the impact of the graphic content caused the producers to rework the film, even though they did not have the budget to do so. Roddy McDowell recorded a compliment to Caesar's final speech, which was portrayed through editing tricks. Caesar being mostly shown through close-ups of his eyes, the guerrillas hitting Breck with his rifles played backwards to imply they were giving up and assured a lower rating.
0: See, I felt that was that was going to happen, and obviously that's what they were leading up to. So that was extremely well edited.
3: Mm. The film's Blu-ray version adds an unrated version, restoring the original ending and many other graphic scenes.
0: Filmed in depresso vision, with the same message as uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which just seems to be despairing old men going, oh, it's all gone to shit.
3: Conquest is the only apes film without a pre-title sequence. The film's script and novelisation describes a nighttime pre-title scene where police on night patrol shoot an escaping ape and discover that his body is covered with welts and bruises as evidence of severe abuse. Screenplay writer Paul Den, who wrote and co-wrote the sequels, said in interviews with Cinefantastic, quoted in the Planet of the Apes Chronicles by Paul Woods, that the story he was writing had a circular theme. The whole thing has become a very logical development in the form of a circle. I have a complete chronology of the time circle mapped out, and when I start a new script, I check every supposition I make against the chart to see if it is correct to use it. While I was out there in California, Arthur Jacobs said he thought this would be the last, so I fitted it together so that it fitted in with the beginning of Apes 1, so that the wheel had come full circle and one could stop there quite happily, I think.
0: That was January 72 before they did another one. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Noticed uh, well that there are you would have gathered overt themes of slavery and cycles, which is again like, like I said, there's a political agenda to this, which which was very engaging for me. It, it became more of a sci-fi than uh, um, it became more of a, a sci-fi with a message to it. Like the first Apes, I'm not entirely sure what the message was supposed to be. The second one had no message at all. It was, it was just gibberish. It was despairing and lamenting and they threw so much shit at a wall just to see if any of it would stick. Third one seemed to be uh, much more about, uh, as you say, it, it works well with this in terms of the idea that humanity is present in both humans and apes and savagery is present in both humans and apes. And I think what we call humanity isn't necessarily exclusive to humans.
3: I think that you, you could kind of interpret the idea of um, uh, sort of the, the great power, with great power comes great responsibility. Intelligence is a great power. And if you have intelligence, to a degree, you have a responsibility to use that in a humane way. So the apes, by demonstrating that they do have intelligence and moving towards being able to exercise that intelligence and have uh, agency over themselves and, and to have power, it's almost like Caesar's coming to the conclusion that they have to use that power wisely, or they have to use it not wisely—that's the wrong word—mercifully.
0: Um, There's a lot of comments on uh, revolution as well. The uh, the cycle of oppression followed by revolution. And when it comes down to it, if you are the victor of that conflict, whichever side you're on, the key moments of the conflict are the few seconds after you've won. How do you then react as the victor to the fallen? If you react with wrath, the cycle will continue because you're then giving the oppressed more reason to keep rising up.
3: Or the the previous oppressors that you've now overthrown, you're giving them a reason to rise back.
0: Yeah, but if you you react with mercy, then maybe an accord can be reached. Yeah. Again, I mean, this is just this is speaking our X Men language.
3: Absolutely, if there is meaning to the first two, um, and that's a big if, then I, I suppose you could read elements of uh, fear of the atomic bomb into that, and fear of. Um, uh mankind's growing science. So you know the atomic
0: bomb isn't meaning, it's substance. No, 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 I know,
3: I know, but, but sort of the...
0: And it existed in the most rudimentary of B-movies. That's yes. not a, that's not an achievement.
3: No, no, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that, that... We didn't necessarily perceive there being anything of of great significance to us there, because that's not something that we recognise as being part of our current situation and and society. But, um. That feels more complex. Not necessarily specifically the atomic bomb and the, and atomic power, but certainly the prospect of, um, mankind's growing scientific ability flourishing into the ability to destroy themselves and to um, uh, uh, to elevate other forms of life to the point where they are going to take over i mean you you could argue that put that in modern parlance and it's something like um artificial fear of artificial intelligence taking over there's certainly um a a seed of that in uh rise because the the source of the aid of the apes increased intelligence is a human invention um, it's something that that goes through the filter of genetics, but Caesar wouldn't exist uh, had mankind uh, specifically will. Not Caesar would meddled, not exist
0: in the state he is.
3: Exactly, yeah. That something else had to happen in order to engender that. Looking at them in terms of their overarching themes, I mean, in the escape and conquest. I knew nothing about them going in. If I had, I probably would have been able to guess that I would have liked them most because of this very solid theme of uh, kyriarchy overthrow um, and Kyriarchy is a term that I never really thought I would get the chance to use in this podcast but it's, it, it. 's basically um, it 's an expansion of uh, the term patriarchy. It was coined by a German feminist called Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza. Um, and it basically it, it's it literally means rule by a lord and it describes social systems where the institutions and the setups that are being implemented are all based on domination and oppression and submission. So basically there is a uh, a group which is in power, and in order for that to maintain, there by necessity have to be groups which are submissive to them. Um, but it goes beyond the idea of simply men in charge, which is what patriarchy kind of refers to Um, so you can use it in terms of looking at uh, colonialism the idea that if white people are in charge then people of color have to be submissive to them if men are in charge then women have to be submissive to them if uh, heterosexuality is the dominant ideology then anybody who is not of that sexuality is by their very nature, uh required to be submissive to that um, so that the system can continue. And any kind of uh revolution that wants to change the status quo needs to recognize all of the intersecting forms of power that are currently in place before it can start pulling the bricks out from underneath them and and causing them to topple over. Um, So, as you say, the the very obvious parallel between um, the way the apes are being treated and the sort of civil rights overthrowing uh, previous slavery situation – it, and it's it's not something that they they do subtly it is referred to several times um but visually as well as verbally so you've got things like in the ape management building where all the apes as they as they are uh, brought in from the jungles that they've been captured from they're brought to this kind of retraining center where they Condition them with literal electric shocks and flamethrowers and and beatings in order to be able to do the the jobs that they're gonna that are going to be expected of them. A lot of the security guards there are black, and there almost seems to be this. Um, it's it's tricky to know exactly what they were trying to intimate, but my inference from it. Um, was sort of a suggestion of if you were previously the most oppressed person on this ladder and you're now being allowed to move up a rung or two look down because it'll be happening because somebody else is now beneath you and frankly for something of that political depth to be in a cheesy early 70s Very sci-fi low movie as well it, yeah.
0: was, it wasn't even 2 million
3: that was. I found that quite impressive.
0: Yeah, it, it, uh, they sold a sense of scale and uh, this happening in more places than just one.
3: Mm, absolutely, and th- they do refer to that later on. Um, Caesar talks about apes on the five continents seeing what they've done and, and imitating their actions. Which again, something not I mean,
0: addressed in rats, <coughs> I might add.
3: No, but there is that sort of that suggestion that all people have ever believed that these apes can do is mimic and imitate. And that's why these little revolutions, however small they are to start with, are such a source of fear, because they will be imitated. And that's, again, the same with any system where uh, people are being oppressed and held down, is that once one person stands up, others will too.
0: I did miss Kim Hunter in this one. She's uh, uh, she's sadly missed from the series, but Roddy McDowell really stepped up to the plate.
3: Oh, to, to he take was the, astounding in this.
0: I think we were comparing him to an early circus. He uh, He's very expressive through the mask, and he's playing a new character, effectively, the son of Cornelius, and uh, let's face it, he's playing Caesar. Unlike circuses Caesar, he can fully talk, and was able to literally verbalize quite elegantly some very, very similar feelings to the ones that uh, modern-day Caesar would have gone through during the uprising in uh, Rise.
3: Although he starts um, – or well, actually, no, you, you can see the parallel between them. He starts off quite – Um, naive because he doesn't know about the world and Caesar in rise starts very young and you see him grow up and you see him learn about the hardship and the the difficulties that he's going to face and and eventually come into the conclusion of how he can overcome this. Um, But one thing I thought was possibly a factor, um, although again, I could be reading more into this than there was was, is back in the day, there was a certain perception of um, various types of of ape, and one thing that seems to have run through these uh, Planet of the Apes films is that they perceive chimps as being quite playful and um, uh, gentle and, and chips uh, can be childlike. really vicious and, and will, yeah, they, they will
0: eat your skin given the chance.
3: Well, <laughs> I don't know that I'd go that far but but now that more study of chimps has been done they it's it's known that they are actually much more prone to um aggression particularly in defense of their territory and in defense of their um uh, their mates and their families and i wondered whether that had influenced the changes in uh, caesar's nature I think what's most impressive about McDowell's performance for me, though, was that um, it it was the scene where um, he finds out that Armando is dead, basically in a scene where he's being interrogated. It's not quite clear whether he throws himself out of a window or he accidentally falls out of a window in in a struggle. And when Caesar hears about this, he's in a position where um, he's pretending to be a, a primitive chimp. So he can't speak to anybody, he can't verbalise his grief Um, he can't he's he's very limited in terms of what he can do to even indicate that he's understood what's been said, so it's all done through his eyes and through the he, he makes very small movements with his mouth and he gets this amazing feeling of uh, of a very powerful grief. This is, you know, this is the only father he ever really knew. Yeah. And, and now as well, the other thing is he has nowhere to go. He's been hiding amongst the other chimps in the hope that Armando was going to come and, and find him again. And now that hope is gone. And you see all that go through him in the space of this one scene. And it's so incredible. And then you realize he's doing this through a rubber mask
0: paralleled with circus's performance when will first leaves him at the enclosure and he's pressing himself against the window and going through a whole range of emotions yeah
3: absolutely yeah
0: i've been reading paul den's uh, back catalog he wrote goldfinger or the, uh, the the screenplay of it as well as the spy who came in from the cold so the guy's got talent, despite the fact that he also wrote Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He didn't write the original, or he didn't uh, adapt the original. Uh, that, like I said, that went through various rewrites. I think it, they kind of, he appears to have been godfathering the projects as it moved forwards. So he's like the, even though he's not necessarily in the producer role, he's the Kevin Feige of um, the, this particular universe pushing forwards, up until this fifth and final one, because he wrote uh, all four of the sequels. It feels like the second was rushed and very much meddled with by studios. Mm. Like they were just like, well look, we've gotta, we've gotta surprise people, so put in something that really shouldn't be there at all. We've gotta have a shock ending, so put that in there. And it just, they crowbarred that in. I could be wrong, but that sort of, um, botched filmmaking was mostly covered up in those days.
3: Ah, Polly should be!
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, But, yeah, the, the, it's, it's clawed its way back with uh, with two um, very politically driven and uh, socially driven uh, films, which surprised me, because, frankly, I thought uh, that uh, one was going to be the absolute pinnacle, and it's not the case at all. I'm sure there are, there are going to be people out there who are like, oh, how dare you say one isn't the best of all of them, and, in fact, the best film ever made. One of the failings of this one uh, would possibly be that the... Uh, Instance of, uh, what would be the word, sympathetic humanity is so small, and, and because it was such a, uh, focused, um, cross-section of the ruling class, it made most of the human race seem like total bastards.
3: It does a bit, yeah. And I mean, you've got...
0: That's deserving of this uprising. But
3: I mean, in a way, you kind of, you kind of have to do that, because if you set up a society in which slavery exists, It's really difficult to then set up people who are effectively supporting and shoring up that system of slavery, but they're not really that bad once you get to know them, but they're still agreeing with uh, or at the very least not actively objecting to the enslaving of other intelligent beings
0: i did love so, how utterly paranoid the ruling class uh, appeared when it was it suggested for even a moment that the apes might actually uh you know be be deserving of freedom it was like well you know if you give them an inch they'll all get out it'll be anarchy <laughs> <at> <laughs> immediate parallels uh, intentionally so with the american south prior to, during the middle of, and immediately after the Civil War. You can't give these guys freedom. They'll kill us. We fucking deserve it. Mm. That's effectively what everybody was too chicken shit to say.
3: Indeed. But I think possibly that's That's why... That's not saying
0: everybody in the South right now, or that everybody in the South thought like that, but there was a prevailing sentiment.
3: Yeah. If, If you've been in charge of a system that crushes oppresses and harms other people for centuries then somewhere deep down you're going to know that when those people get out from under that thumb they would be completely within their rights to turn around and smash you right back
0: maybe not necessarily within their rights but they would have every reason you've given them the ammunition
3: um, but I think that's possibly one reason why um, I found um, Escape a little bit more um, engaging in terms of the uh, the other human interactions, because there were more yeah, characters more mix, in that yeah. who were uh, more even. I mean, you've got the actively sympathetic uh, Lewis, Lewis and. His wife. Is um, this his wife or his partner? I think she's she's just his, his partner in the zoo. She didn't speak much though. Um, the but even like the president is pretty moderate and, yeah. and he's looking for a never abortion, got to meet the main president way of, of
0: 1991.
3: Did yeah. we? it would have um, been George Bush. Ah! Oh, oh my god, <laughs> the first George Bush. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it basically in in well, this 1991.
0: Uh, up. We, we all know what to do. So, the, the apes called you a wimp. Wimp. <laughs> <laughs> so, on to the final uh, one of this, quintil- Quintology? That wasn't a word, interestingly enough. They created quadrilogy for uh, Alien Resurrection, yet uh, Planet had already arisen. They I think had by, the time you
3: get, by the time you get to five, it's just a series.
0: Yeah. Why can't you just be honest and say Franchise. See, I well, really... trilogy implies there was some measure of predetermined, well, this is going to be a story of four parts.
3: Yeah, I really don't like the term franchise, though. Because to me, it says something. Yeah, it's financial. Well, it suggests something very specific in terms of, uh, this is an intellectual property that anybody can pick up and run with. So a franchise, to me, should really have different directors, mm. uh, different writers, um, potentially different producers, although I think the money is probably always going to come from the same place, yeah. um, at least to some degree. And, uh, there's usually at least an attempt to get the same actors back. But when you have something which is actively been put together by by the same uh, director writing team, mm. I personally wouldn't call that a franchise. I would a be more inclined to call that a series. Console. Yeah. yeah.
0: So the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, most definitely needs another word than simply franchise because of Kevin Feige and the Marvel team who are running the damn thing.
3: Yeah, because there is an overarching creative vision that's linking them all together.
0: However, not just- Spider-Man is a franchise made up of a trilogy and an ongoing series that may or may not just be nipped in the bud the moment that uh, the finances don't work out.
3: Yeah, it is now. I think um, the X-Men series as well, you could probably call a franchise...
0: Yeah, that's changing uh, all kinds of creative hands. Although,
3: arguably, Avi Arad
0: and Brian Singer have godfathered those two franchise movie series at various key points along the way. Hmm. Okay, food for thought. Let's move on to the next in the series.
2: We want guns!
4: Now, the final chapter in the Incredible Ape Saga...
1: Here it is, our wars. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak
2: about. This background radiation alone will give us 300 Rentgens an hour.
4: The battlefield, a dead city 12 years after the ultimate bomb has been dropped. The prize, the right to inherit what's left of the earth. The contestants, ape against man. The most unbelievable showdown ever filmed. As the mutants, strange, transformed men who live underground like moles, battle the apes to decide who will be master and who will be slain. They're getting away. Kill them. Murdered, my son.
1: We will fight
4: the humans and then... We will smack Caesar! I don't want to have to remember my husband. I want to love him now. But we who survive create a new race. In the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history. Climaxing the epic series which made motion picture history comes the last, the most spectacular of all the ape adventures.
2: No! Fight,
4: Out of the Forbidden City, they roared, to settle once and for all who had the right to rule the planet, ape or man.
0: Okay, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, 1973. The year is 2670. There is a Lord of the Rings-style voiceover from John Huston, who played Gandalf in the Rankin-Bass Hobbit movies, and also did the narration for The Black Cauldron. Uh, it's priming us for the events of an ape legend. Suddenly we're back in 2001, and apes have subjugated man and are living in uneasy harmony, though mankind appears to be enslaved in some unspecified manner. In fact, the apes, despite it only being 10 years after the last film, appear to be almost exactly as advanced as they will be 2,000 years from now. Military leaders like the aggressive guerrilla General Aldo are taught English alongside small children. The word no is banned, as it has connotations of their former enslavement. Caesar is married to an ape named Lisa, with a son named Cornelius. He hears about tapes of his parents buried beneath a bombed and irradiated human city of unspecified name. He journeys there with the brother of MacDonald, the guy who helped him in the last movie, and an intellectual orangutan named Virgil, who keeps declaring hefty physics-based conundrums. Uh, They find some tapes but are chased away by irradiated humans, the apparent ancestors of the rubber-faced zealots with the world-destroying bomb two millennia from now caesar's wife lisa attempts to appeal to her wise husband who seeks war with the aggressive humans she reminds him of his desire for peace in the end of the last movie meanwhile the guerrillas led by aldo plot a revolt against their chimp and orangutan overlords they are overheard by caesar's son cornelius whom aldo injures to the point of death and then he dies in order to silence him The humans, led by a shit Brian Cox-looking chap, attack the entire ape population of about 22 with two jeeps, a truck, 17 soldiers, and a modified howitzer. Aldo's forces seize guns from the armory and engage in sorry, guerrilla warfare. A very, very unimpressive, twitchy, titchy, Battle takes place. The apes easily destroy the humans over 20 tedious and under-budgeted minutes. Caesar then learns it was Aldo who killed his son, breaking the one ape law that ape may not kill ape. In revenge, Caesar kills him. Then ruminates on what that means. To no end. Then with little else to do, he declares a truce with the humans he was already at peace with, frees them from their unspecified bonds and pats himself on the back. 600 years later, we cut back to John Houston Ape, who is talking to a class of human and ape children, now apparently in harmony. The end. Ugh. Uh, Worst of the five. Oh, God, I don't think I ever... Uh, Sharon, mm-hmm. can I never watch this film again?
3: By all means, my love.
0: Please. I mean, uh, uh, you can watch Beneath the Planet of the Apes and laugh at how shit it is, but this one isn't even funny shit. And also, beneath, uh, I pointed this one out earlier, Beneath the Planet of the Apes took... Um, the original premise of Planet of the Apes, and because they didn't know what to do with it, they sort of went, uh, let's sort of do it again. Only we don't really have Charlton Heston, so let's put like a replacement in. And then another twist. Mutants and a bomb and destroy the world. It was just this, this sheer panic. And you can see that in the construction of it. This, it appears like they had to round off the series, but didn't know how. And... As opposed to films three and four they didn 't make it a think piece; they made it an action piece, but they didn 't have the budget for an action film. This was one point seven million dollars and it made eight point eight million dollars it's it 's terrible it 's a failure and it was this sort of a for the for the end of this original series mm. it 's a complete waste of time. If it had never been made, at least it would have ended on a really high note, maybe the highest note of the four. Shouldn't have been made. What did you think of it?
3: I'm torn between shouldn't have been made and should have been made better. But in all seriousness, you're absolutely right. The note of possibly hopeful um, uh, ambivalent of the uh, the fourth film really didn't require further exploration it's... certainly not if you're going to abandon all the um, exploration of social ills that had been woven through 3 and 4, and just go back to, we're quite scared of atomic bombs.
0: Well, yeah, it was going back to the whole thing about, if you think about it, the cycle of war uh, will always continue, we will always keep trying to destroy each other, and that's been done far better elsewhere. This is not the place to do that.
3: No, well, you you can't... At least, unless you've got something
0: really some really good dialogue to really get through it and well, symbolic stuff as opposed to really just a, a tedious series of people talking to each other. But it's, it's all just exposition. Exactly. There's, it's all just, well, we've got to go to the city. What city? Well, the city, blah, 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 blah. And then when we were in the city, da-da-da-da-da.
3: And if also, if you're going to look um, at, at a situation, if you're going to examine a situation where there is violence and aggression on two sides of a, a battle you need to be able to uh, zoom in to a very personal conflict. You need to be able to see the complete um character of the the handful of parties that are involved to really be able to understand that you know they both have motives and they both have character flaws and they both have hopes and they both have um heroism within them and and compare them on that kind of microscopic level if you're going to pull back and look at uh, a conflict between a group of people who were previously oppressed And the uh, somewhat battered remnants of their oppressors, you can't set that up in a way that says, well, it's six of one and a half a dozen of the other, really, isn't it? Because it's not. That's not how it works.
0: Initially, writer Paul Dane, who had provided the script for every previous sequel, so he wrote two, three, and four, was hired to provide a story treatment for the fifth film in the series, so a treatment, like a, this is what will happen. Dane withdrew from the project prior to completing the screenplay due to health reasons. Screenwriters John Williams Corrington and Joyce Hooper Corrington were brought in after the success of their film The Omega Man, a film I cited as an example of the kind of shit movie they made back then. The Omega Man was a terrible translation of I Am Legend mm. starring
3: Charlton Heston
0: Charlton Heston Although prior to that, neither one of them had written any science fiction films, and indeed Joyce Carrington later admitted that they had never seen any of the Apes films prior to being hired to write the script for Battle. Dane was available for the initial rewrites, but it was hired to come in and do a final polish on the tur- sorry, the script, making minor changes to the script that the Corringtons had written. Dane was given a story credit despite the appeal to the Writers Guild of America for shared credit on the screenplay. Dane claimed to have rewritten 90% of the dialogue, and he altered the ending. The original script with Corrington's ended in a, on a playground with ape and human children fighting. Dane chose to go with the close-up of a statue of Caesar, with a tear falling from its eye, unwarranted by the way, Dane, which Joyce Corrington characterised as stupid, I actually agree with Corrington on this one. Mm. It turns us, it turned our stomachs when we saw it. The Writers Guild of America ruled, that was the Corringtons, but it also turned ours. I was like, it ended on the statue, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And then a tear rolled out, I was like, the statue's fucking crying! The Writers Guild of America ruled in favour of the Corringtons for sole screenplay credit. Gotcha. Oh, I was thinking that Dane was like saying, just take my name off this fucking thing. But no, it was the other way around, he was trying to claim credit for it. Uh, while Roddy McDowell returns, John Houston appears as the lawgiver and veteran. Oh, yeah, by the way, he's the, the lawgiver, so he's the statue that gets pulled over in the second one and burned. The veteran actor Lou Ayers appears as Mandemus. He was probably one of the best things in it. Also, the Virgil, this new ape, with his, like, pu- like, I declare it to be the most whimsical ape of the season. Like, this is supposed to be ten years after the apes couldn't speak. Nothing is given as an example of how they can speak suddenly. There's no scientific reason behind, not even an attempt, like not even a sci-fi reason. They just go, oh, they can speak now. Not even like, oh, um, because of ape osmosis. Casting of this film otherwise showed the diminished stature and budget of the series. In other words, it's the law of diminishing returns writ small. France Nguyen, who at the time was arguably the biggest star than most of the top billed actor, received poor billing in a small role. Though the extended DVD cut restored much of her screen time. Hang on, France Nguyen. Oh yeah, she was the uh, the Asian lady and the irradiated woman in the city ah. who doesn't know how to use an intercom.
2: Yeah.
0: So like she starts using the intercom and goes, oh, hang on, and I press the button and, and that is, we did 21 takes and that was the best one. McDonald sees his human friend as portrayed in a film by Austin Stoker. Harry Rhodes played the character named McDonald in the previous film, Conquest. The change in actors were noted to, in dialogue indicating that Stoker's McDonald was the brother of Rhodes' McDonald, Rody. In his novelization of The Moody, David Gerald writes that the original McDonald had died in the interim but does not specify a cause. It's, it's boring even reading about this. <laughs> The director was unhappy with the script, um, as well as the scope of the production, which he felt was minuscule. Could have used a bigger budget to assist in the portrayal of the, and then in quotation marks, battle. Thompson had agreed to direct without a script in place and regretted that Paul Dan could have. This just shouldn't have been made. Couldn't have been on the project through the writing process. The whole thing was multi-bugged. Didn't I say when we were watching it was like this feels like it's been meddled with? It was meddled with. It was compromised. They shat it out. <laughs> Reaction. Horror. <laughs> There has been some debate over the what year the main body of the film takes place. The year 2670 AD is shown at the beginning of the film during the framing segment. The rest of the film is told about in flashback, and no exact date is stated directly. However, there are two lines of dialogue that do offer a clue, though they conflict with each other. Mendes states that there's been 12 years of peace, which replaced the film somewhere around or after the year 2003. This assumes that the nuclear war has destroyed human civilization took place immediately after the previous film. Immediately after? So it's like, the apes rise up, and let's break out the fucking nuclear warheads... Seriously, the apes are rising up with rifles. There's no reason to nuke your cities. That doesn't make any sense.
2: No.
0: Now, this is something you bring in the army. And let me tell you, folks, the army can deal with a few apes.
3: Do they have an army at this point, though?
0: There's, there's a reason why at the end of Rise, the army can't deal with a few apes, because the army have got other things to worry about. Mm. After the previous film Conquest was set in 91, at the end of the battle, Mand- uh, Mandima says he lived in the Ape City f- Armory for 27 years, placing the film in around the year 2018 or later. His statements Help make more sense of Virgil's earlier comments that Mandemus was his teacher when he was a boy. When he was a boy, had surely been be- before 10 years ago when the apes couldn't even talk. Mm. Though that could have occurred if they were in captivity before conquest. Those who adhere to the 2003 date cite that Culp did not look 27 years older than he did in conquest. Those who cite the 2018 date claim that Mendez's statement does not preclude 15 years of war after conquest ended in the final nuclear exchange. Several reference materials, such as the Sacred Scrolls website, I found scrolls, and Rich Handley's timelines of the Planet of the Apes use the later date, but others disagree in slightly like the earlier date. You know what, guys? It doesn't matter. You're thinking about it a lot more than the filmmakers did, and we like to do that on the show as well, but usually about films that are worth it. This film is not worth debating over. It's a piece of shit. It shouldn't have been made. But there are better films out there to make a fuss over. Can, can we finish on this yes. one?
3: <laughs> let's move on.
0: Let's move on, because um, this is horrible. To summarise the the original five movies, see one, three, and four. Skip two, all you need to know is the Earth was destroyed. The exact confluence of events doesn't even make any sense anyway. And skip five, because you don't need to know. Is there any bit of this film we can talk about? There's nothing, is there? No. There's nothing. It's, it's, uh, we, it just, we just sat there for 82 minutes and nothing happened. Ugh, God, the things we do for you people. Okay, you know what I'm actually kind of looking forward to? The Tim Burton version. The Tim Burton version! I never thought I'd find myself saying that! That's how bad it got, folks. Don't worry about... I have been Alex Shaw.
3: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And neural, neural hand handshake shape complete. complete. Okay, I think it's probably time. I've just, let me just check my watch. Yeah, it's monkey news time. <laughs> Oh, chimpanzee
2: that! Monkey news, yeah. So
5: this week, anyway, it's about, it's more about tall buildings and stuff. Oh, yeah. It was this bloke who was a builder. Oh, yeah. Right? And, uh, you know what builders are like, they sort of move about, don't they, from, from sort of building to building, just building. Well, yeah, well, once they
0: <laughs> built it, the building's
2: done and they move on to we build some more. to building, just building, yeah.
5: So he goes to his next job and that, right? Who does? The builder? The builder. Yep. He goes to, like, the, the, the boss. The, building. the boss of this building. Who's building it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay.
5: Yeah. And he, and he says what unto him? Do you need anything building?
2: <laughs> okay. Right?
5: Yeah. So anyway, so he says, uh, he says, yeah, yeah, there's plenty of work and that going about. Yep. He says, we're working on this one here. He said, uh, get going on it, like, there's your bricks and your cement and stuff, get on with it. Yeah. Mm. So the- so Any plans? So the- so Just build. Just, just start building. Yeah. Go up. To getting on with it and stuff, it's all going well. Right? Yep. Um But he notices that there's someone working eye up oh. right, on, on <laughs> okay. the top bit. So anyway, he's he's saying to like the other workers, he's going, "What's who's that up there? Who's that up like, there? He's, yeah. he's working on his own. Little, what the little fella was he? And uh, the little the hairy fella there. Who's oh, the, the little thing. hairy fella up there with the top, uh, hard hat. And, and the other fellows are going, "Look, you know, don't ask questions. You know, the boss decides who he takes on. We're mm. happy to be getting paid here.
2: Don't ask questions." Well, I'll see him when he comes down.
5: So he said, well, he's he's pretty impressive, you know, the the work rate he's doing, the way he's getting from one girder to the other.
2: He's swinging, is he? He
5: doesn't seem to be scared Mm. of the heights or anything. He said, no, just let him get on with it. You know, we work well as a team. So anyway.
2: (laughs) What nonsense is this? (laughs) He believes all this.
5: So he sees the boss and he goes, that fella up there, uh, who's the fella up there? He's he's pretty good. And he's like, look, you know, just get on with the job. Yeah, I'll pay you. Let's just all get on with our jobs. (laughs) Yeah lunchtime comes, they're all sat there, sat on a little wall having the sandwiches, just thinking he'll come down in a bit. He's yeah. just carrying on. Yeah.
2: Is he? He's just still going. Still yeah. going
5: on that, right? Mm. So, the fella says to the boss man, he says, Isn- isn't that fella up there, uh, gonna come down and join us for lunch? He said, uh he said, like I said, mate, don't, don't worry about him, right? Yeah. He yeah, said, very secretive. I'm suspicious about this fella, I don't know, yeah, I, don't I don't know. why he he's working through his lunch, I don't know why he's not scared of heights, I don't know why he's swinging from girder to girder, it's weird, go on. So he said, oh, anyway, you've reminded me that he's up there. He said, um, he's doing a lot of riveting and stuff up there. He probably needs some more nuts to, uh Right, sure. And what kind of nuts is that? Is that nuts to food or? So, he said, what nuts? He said, yeah, just, uh there's a bag full of them there. Just, just put them on the hook, send them up and he can get on with his job. So anyway, he picks these nuts up. Nuts, right, yeah. Just hooks them on. He thinks they're not that heavy no. considering, you know, I mean, they're normally pretty heavy, aren't they? Like nuts big and bolts and stuff. Yeah. So anyway, he has a little glance in. Oh, no, what's in there? Nuts. What, you mean nuts that you can eat? Nuts that you can eat. Oh. Right? So, they send the bag up and he's thinking, what's all that about? He checks him out, starts to stare, works it out, you can see that he's a little chimp running about, so he goes, I'm not happy with this. Why so, isn't he? Because he's working for an organization that's, you know, there's unions for this sort of stuff, isn't <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's not going, That's amazing. They've got a chimp riveting this building together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not scary. He's wondering if they're breaking union rules. <laughs> so he he, go, he you goes in So he shit, goes man. he goes, to the, he the goes boss.
5: to the boss and he goes, Look, I've worked out what you're playing at here. Yeah. He said, Oh lemon. He's the there. boss sitting in a tyre? <laughs> so he goes, Look, you know, we just all try to earn a living here. He said, Uh, don't get involved in it. I'm happy to pay you. I'm paying him, don't don't interfere. He's paying him. And he's saying, Look, I, I'm just not happy with this, it's it's not allowed. So the boss was saying, Well,
2: we pay peanuts, mate, we get monkeys.
5: He said, To be honest, mate, you know, uh he, he's a great worker, <laughs> he's known for doing what he does, he's a good grafter. If one of you's gonna go, right, I'm afraid I'll have to let you go, because he's, he's been here longer than that. Yeah. He was made redundant. None of that of happened. The, he, he was he was laid off. None of that happened. Is laid off that. And that's no. where that saying about, um, you know, like there's a lot of tower blocks and that in America. It's like the chimp off the old block is, is where. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so that's monkey news. <laughs>